we got to the point where you're just thinking about how I'm going to live, how I'm going to afford food, you know, this, and no one should go through that. Obviously bombs attacks, like whatever you are, or whatever the time is, you never know. Every time you're leaving the house, you don't know if you're going to come back. Every time you're leaving the house, you, your mom obviously is freaking out because she doesn't know if um, her kids are coming back, you know. Hello, friends and damn givers. Welcome to the Let's Give a Damn podcast. I'm your host, Nick LaPara, and this is the show where we chat with people who saw something wrong in the world and gave a damn about it. My hope is that today's conversation will help you give a damn in your world wherever you may be. How are you, friends? No, for reals. Like, how are you? We're still in the middle of a seemingly endless shitstorm, and sometimes it's hard to find and see and recognize the good happening around us. Yes, I know I have that problem. And friends, I don't want our relationship to be a one-way street where I talk to you once or twice a week through a microphone and you just sit there and listen. I want to know how you're processing through these conversations that we're having on the show. And I genuinely want to know how you're doing. I want you to be part of the Let's Give a Damn family for a long time to come, because we're not going anywhere. So don't burn out, pace yourselves, and let me know how I can help you do those things. My email is always open to you at hello at letsgiveadam.com. I mean it, shoot me a note anytime. My guest today is a fantastic human, Yusra Mardini. Yusra is a Syrian refugee. In 2015, she and her sister and 20 other refugees made their way out of Syria toward their ultimate destination of Germany. Her story has gone all over the world because of some very significant things that happened during their trip. For one, 15 minutes into the trip, the engine on their boat stopped and she and her sister had to tread water for three and a half hours and the story is just wild. She'll go more in depth in our chat, but as I talk to her, I was reminded of a powerful poem that I have read many times and I've read to you on this show before by Warson Shire called Home. A few of the lines go something like this. No one leaves home unless home is the mouth of a shark. You only run for the border when you see the whole city running as well. No one would leave home unless home chased you, fire under feet, hot blood in your belly. You have to understand no one puts their children in a boat unless the water is safer than the land. Google that poem so you can read the rest. It is beyond powerful. But it spoke to me because it directly correlates to what happened in Yusra's life and in her story so far. She went on to compete in the 2016 Olympics in Rio as part of the first ever refugee Olympic team. Since then, she has spent time with world leaders she is a goodwill ambassador for the UNHCR, and she continues to train each and every day as a swimmer. Bottom line, Yusra is a badass. She's a powerful woman, a damn giver, and I'm so excited to introduce you to her today or her to you today. Either way, I'm so excited. Before we jump into our conversation, I wanna give a massive shout out to this week's sponsor, Redcap, a wonderful company that makes workwear and uniforms. I love Redcap for many reasons. One, they're a Nashville-based company. I am here. They also champion the men and women who are out there committed to making our communities thrive. Everything they make from shirts to coveralls is crafted with purpose and on purpose. They are a no bullshit company. What you see is what you get. And what you're getting with Redcap is a group of people who genuinely give a damn about work and a life done right. So from now until July 31, you can get... Sorry, you can get 20% off your first purchase at redcap.com with the promo code GIVEADAM. That's redcap.com with the promo code GIVEADAM. You'll get 20% off between now and July 31. I also worked with them last month to interview amazing damn givers that are beautifully contributing to their communities during this global pandemic. You can see more from that series by going to redcap.com slash community. Go check it out. Wonderful interviews, wonderful damn givers. Okay, let's get started, shall we? As always, my email is hello at letsgiveadam.com. I'd love to hear from you. And here's my conversation with the fascinating, wonderful user Mardini. Let's go. Welcome, user Mardini, to the Let's Give a Damn podcast. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. 
This, I have been a huge admirer of your story and your work for quite some time since I saw you in the Olympics in 2016. And it was shortly after that, that I reached out to your manager uh, to say, hey, can, would user want to come onto the podcast? And we've been, it's just been hard to coordinate things. You're a very busy woman. Um, and so now we're doing it in the summer of 2020. We're finally getting around to it. And I'm so excited you're here. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You're very welcome. That's crazy. You've been trying since 2016. I yeah, didn't... no, it was, I think I reached out in, I, I found out about you in 2016. And then I think I reached out in 2000. I have to go back, look at the email, 2018. And okay. then, um, yeah, I just kept getting, you know, you're, you're busy and he needs to make sure that you're cared for and whatever. Yeah. And, sure. and, th and then we had it set up a few weeks ago and I had to cancel last minute. Yeah, sure, um, sure. And I, I even forget what it was for, but it was something important because obviously I've been waiting. To it was the to situation you, so. because of the situation in America and everything. Yeah, yeah, I think I think, yes, there's so much going on here right now. I think it was actually one of the days of the protests. And yes, it, yes it's been it's been wild. So yeah. I can't. Well, I can't, I'm happy it's happening. Yeah. Yes, I'm, I'm glad as well. And I can't at some point in this conversation, we're going to talk about what you uh living in Germany, think of what's going on over here. Yeah. We'll, we'll, yeah. We'll, we'll get to that eventually. But again, thank you. Uh, for those that don't know who you are, and I hope that everyone does at this point, but if not, I'm glad I'm introducing them to you right now. For those that don't know who you are, give us, I'm going to get more in depth in your story here in a second, but give us kind of the broad overview of who you are. Okay, so um, I'm Israel Mardini. My age is 22. I grew up, I'm originally from Syria. I grew up in Syria um, and then the war broke when I was 13 or 12. Um, and um, yeah, I was a swimmer since I was really young. I started swimming when I was four years old. Um, I wow. started like thinking about the Olympic Games when I was 10 years old. Um, uh, yeah, and after the war broke, I couldn't actually, you know, reach my dreams. And it was really hard because there was bomb attacks. It wasn't peaceful. Uh, you couldn't live a normal life. So me and my sister decided to uh, leave to Germany uh, as refugees. And uh, yeah, we left as refugees. It took us 25 days to reach uh, Germany from Syria. Uh, we crossed almost six or seven countries to get to Germany. Um, uh, yeah, and after we got to Germany, um, I went back to swimming because I had like a little break because of everything that happened in my life. And um, yeah, after going back, I uh, started for the first ever refugee Olympic team in the uh, Olympic Games uh, in Rio 2016. And I was appointed as a goodwill ambassador for UNHCR. And uh, now I'm basically a swimmer, a speaker, activist, and uh, yeah, normal human. <laughs> normal human. <laughs> That's right. Okay. There's so much there. You said a lot of things in there. I know yeah. I, asked you, I asked you for the overview. So now let's dig in a little bit. One is, yeah. tell people, so uh, most we have listeners in 50 or 60 different countries, but most of them are here in North America. So when they think of Syria, when Syria came on their radar, they saw war torn Syria, they saw destroyed Syria. But you're talking about like swimming, you know, trying to do it competitively. Like, talk about pre war Syria for a moment because I've seen photos and I've had friends that have visited and I've done a bunch of global travel but haven't been to that area of the world yet. Uh, like, pre war Syria looks like a really, it's a really rich, it's a really rich kind of culture and people. And it seems like a, like a pretty cool place. So tell me about like your experience growing up and maybe that wasn't your experience, but I'm just telling like from the photos I've seen, it looks like a very beautiful place. So what, what was your experience growing up that you even thought you could be, be a competitive swimmer? Like were those opportunities available? Tell us about that. Um, so first of all, actually Syria in general, it's in, like it encourages the, the athletes to to do sport. Uh, sometimes they support you financially. Obviously, it's not enough, and the country does not have access to Euro what what Europe or America has in, in sport. So it's hard to get to a, like a world and Olympic level. But uh, we were trying hard. We trained. Uh, we had uh, international competitions. 
and uh, we had like a bit of financial support uh, from like the swimming club from the swimming federation um so yeah basically syria is a very 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 beautiful country uh it's one of the ancient countries especially like uh it has the oldest city in the world and like the roman empire and then the turkish people came in and blah 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 yes. uh but syria is very pretty uh we have everything like in Europe and America. We have because a lot of people, Syria. Oh, there are tents and they live with cars and uh, whatever. And I'm like, uh, no, oh, I have a, a normal buildings. Uh, we had a car. Um, yeah, I got this question a lot. Did you have iPhone or racing suit in Syria? And I'm like, yes, I did. I'm normal. It was way more expensive and hard to get it, but there was sure. everything, obviously. Yeah. Um, yeah, so in general, like Syria is really beautiful. I loved my country and I had a really normal life there. I had friends, I went out, I had swimming, school, uh, you know, the life of any typical teenager or a kid. And um, yeah, that's, that's basically it. And uh, I didn't realize how pretty my country is and how much I love it. Uh, uh, um, till I left, actually. Until you left, yeah. yeah, yeah. Which is sad. Like, and now I'm like, you know, Europe is beautiful, but I was, I'm like, wow, my country was really pretty. <laughs> mm. yeah. yeah, I mean, sometimes it uh, it takes leaving something, you know. And you you obviously didn't choose to leave, right? That's a very common yeah. misunderstanding yeah. in the you know, especially here in America, for a lot of people that are opposed to kind of immigration and refugee uh, kind of happenings in the world is it's like nobody nobody chooses to leave home on their own nobody wants to leave their place they're leaving because they have to you know um and, and we'll we'll get more into that so you you said that um the war started when you were 12 or 13 how how many years of war did you experience between then and when you and sarah decided to leave uh four or five years and, and, what, um, and what was that like? I mean, living in a, in, a, in, a, in a country that was being just beat on by war. So first of all, everything was getting two or three times more expensive. I mm. had to work with the age of 15. My sister had to work. My mother had to work. Uh, my father left the country to Jordan to train uh, his swimming coach. So basically, we all worked just to afford food on the table. And not even you're not even thinking... We got to the point where you're just thinking about how I'm going to live, how I'm going to afford food, you know, this and no one should go through that. Obviously, bombs attacks, like whatever you are, or whatever the time is, you never know. Every time you're leaving the house, you don't know if you're going to come back. Every time you're leaving the house, you, your mom obviously is freaking out because she doesn't know if um her kids are coming back you know um the swimming pool there was also bomb attacks um the glass would always like break in the pool because of the pressure of the attacks outside as example i even know that some players once died like uh, some football players they had a match and then there was a bomb and some of them died and oh, this man. was like really horrific to me and so living this every day for four or five years at one point it became normal, which is very, very sad. Like, no, I don't want it to be normal because it's not. So that's actually the reason why we left because we were like, you know what? I can't work all of my life just to afford food on the table. I can't, this is not the purpose of me living on, on this planet. I don't want this to be my life. So that's why we left. I wanted also, I thought also, even though I'm so young, I thought I thought of my kids. I thought of my, you know, my future Family, life. Like, yeah. yeah. Do I want like to lose someone? No, I, I'd rather try to almost lose my life actually on the trip to Germany than, than almost lose my life every day, than being in this fear every day. So that's why we decided, okay, we'll take this dangerous trip and uh, we will try actually because you know, we're human in the end and we will, you, you want to always try to survive and have a better life. Yeah. I, I, I know a little bit about what you're talking about. My, my growing up years were not exactly like yours, but we, I was, I grew up in Guatemala during the end of uh, the civil war in the late nineties. Yeah. And 
and it, it, it felt exactly like what you, what you, what you just described, where when you left the house, we had this thing that, that nobody left the house. If you were on bad terms with anybody, like if you're going to the store or if you're going shopping, it didn't matter what you were doing. Like if you had something that you had with your sibling or your parents, like take care of that shit now and always say, I love you. Always give a hug. Cause we just didn't know. I mean, a lot of my friends were kidnapped. They were, I, I mean, I was, I was caught in the middle of gunfire. Um, I almost got kidnapped once. Like it was that we lived in that constant fear, but as you yeah. pointed out, it became normal where what you can't stop going places. You can't stop living. You have exactly. to go, you have to go swimming. You have to go to the store. You yeah. have to go hang out with your friends. And so you just do it crossing your fingers, hoping that yeah. today's, today's especially, especially also we were just, we were like, you know, if you want to like, uh, if I'm going to die, I'm going to die. But then think about your mother. I'm like, mom, I'm going to, if, if I'm staying home or I'm going out, I'm going to die any, like, I'm right. going to die anyway. So why don't I go out? Because right. even if you're sitting in your home, th- that can also be bombed. And so this yep. was our like saying always with the, like the teenagers were like, oh, we're going to go out. Like, I don't care. Like what's yeah. meant to be will, ha- will be, you know? Yeah. So yeah and getting to that point is really sad i realize no one should ever think that way that it's okay to live in a war and to be in constant fear every day to lose your life so yeah that's why we decided no i want to leave i want to try yeah so you you and sarah left but um are your parents still there how did that conversation happen like hey we're leaving or were they encouraging you to what all went down there Nope. Uh, they were really against it. Uh, we tried really, really hard to convince them because a lot of our friends, they left without their parents because the idea is, okay, go as a minor and then they will bring your parents, which is never happening. It never happened. Um, so I was a minor, I was 17 and, um, yeah, my dad, my dad was like, after we really tried to convince him everything, he was like, find someone I can trust and you can go with if someone is going and then we found his cousin and then we told him, Oh, look, we found him. And, uh, then he, he said, okay. And obviously my mom said, it's okay. But like, she was crying the whole last week because it happened so fast. We didn't plan for it. Like it was, everything happened in one week. I had to say goodbye to everyone I know in my life in one week. And, um, and yeah, um, after that, like, uh, we left with with the cousin and uh, we didn't take my mom and sister because we didn't want them to go through something like this. Mm. Um, I didn't want my little sister seeing horrific things or like, you know, I, I didn't want her to remember stuff like this. Like I want her to be at peace and everything. So we said we will go through it and then we will bring them because I'm a minor, which didn't happen. So after we arrived to Germany, after six months, we kind of gave up on the minor thing and we told them come the same way we came. So my father, my mom and little sister came together after six months the same way, but it was way easier to them, uh, for them because uh, the police was like, uh, protecting refugees, UNHCR was protecting a lot of organizations. Like there was the awareness was so high that Germany was also helping. So they they did the trip in one week, but we did it in twenty five days. <laughs> That's incredible. So that yeah, that was my next question: was are they are they so they live in do they live in uh, Germany, Hamburg, where you live, or do they live? Uh, no, they live they live in Berlin. I'm the only one in my family that I live in Hamburg. I live here because I train in the Olympic Center. So that's why I moved to Hamburg two years ago. Got it. Okay. Okay. So tell, t- take us on this journey, you and your sister, Sarah. And, and I, I, later on, I want to mention, uh, I know Sarah's not on this call, but Sarah's also done some really, you know, incredible stuff. Like she's, been, arre- she's been arrested. I've been following her story as well. Like you both are just doing incredible things. I'm, I'm, I'm just very honored to yep. you know, even be speaking with you because yeah, Sarah as well is she's she's a badass. She's, she's amazing. a tough one. She's a tough one. Yeah. 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 Exactly. But so you you and your sister decide to leave. Like, what is that journey? So how how long does it take you to get to the boat? Um, and then the boat is obviously what happened on your journey in the water is what kind of made your story kind of, for lack of a better term, go viral because of how intense it it was. How long did that take you to get onto the boat? And then obviously it was days and days in the boat. Uh, um, so the thing is that we stayed a whole week in Turkey 
because uh, we needed like to. Sorry. No, it's fine. Uh, we needed, yeah, we needed to stay in Turkey for like a whole week to find smugglers, um, because you can choose to go by like, uh, like uh, by borders or in the water, like by right. land or water. So we obviously the land thing never takes longer, and it takes longer too, right? That's the point of going in the water because it kind of cuts no, through. Or no, actually. It takes longer, but it's also so, uh, it's really dangerous. And it never, like, it was 1% chance that we crossed. Oh, geez. So, so we, we obviously had one choice, which was the water. And, um, yeah, when, when we got, like, uh, we found the smuggler and everything, we stayed on an island, uh, I think in Izmir, uh, for, for three days. Obviously, you don't have enough food. You have only small bag. You sleep in the woods um uh, there are no bathrooms uh, again you don't have enough water or food and after three days we got on the boat um, so the boat is basically a rubber boat and um it's like where you go with your friends to i don't know a little of tan or something and right. uh, so maximum there there should have been seven or eight people and we were 20 on it holy shit yeah so after like um so when we got on the boat we didn't realize and uh earlier there was a fight between smugglers and they ripped it off and this was our boat we didn't know that so we got on it afterwards after 15 minutes the motor stopped um the motor stopped and then the the the, the water started to get in so a friend of my dad that he was with us and then he jumped in the water in the beginning he jumped for two minutes like uh, and then he got out he was like i'm gonna manage everything some people have to go to the water some people have to take out the water so some of us were taking the water out me and my sister and two other guys jumped in the water uh we threw everything we had and usually the whole thing in the water, it takes 45 minutes. It took us three hours and a half to get to Greece. So the most torturing thing is that you can see the island, you can see the light, right. but never reach it. And for me, even for me as a swimmer, I wasn't freaking out that, okay, I'm going to drown or die because obviously I can swim, I can survive. But everyone knew on the boat that we were swimmers. So if anyone would panic, they will pull me with them. So we were trying, so we were really, really lucky that the people understood and like, um, some of us were praying in a really loud voice. Some of us were like, um, you know, in the water, some of us took the water out. Uh, I even like in the water, I had to make like funny faces for a kid because he was the only kid on the boat. So imagine you're like, you're like, I don't know if I'm going to die or survive and now, but I have to make him feel better. So, um, yeah, it took us three hours and a half. And then when we got to Greece, then we continued like walking, buses, trains sometimes. Um, yeah, every possible um, traveling thing except of flying. Um, yeah, and then after, after we arrived to Greece, we crossed to Macedonia, Serbia, uh, Hungary, Vienna, and then Germany. And then we got after 25 days to Germany, actually. So in the water, let's back up a little bit. Um, yeah. I, I am, uh, I'm not a great swimmer. And uh, there was one time back when I was a teenager, I started training to become a lifeguard, which is probably, it's not easy, but it seems relatively easy if you know how to swim. Yeah, yeah. And I, I think the first day they asked, you know, they had us get in the water and they said something, I, I can't remember, it was like, 15 years ago, but essentially it was like, we're going to have you tread water for like five minutes with just your feet, no hands, and then just your hands and no feet, right? To see if yeah. you can do either or. And I was like three minutes in to treading with my feet and no hands, and I couldn't do it. And I was like, this is stupid. And I got out of the pool and left. And so, <laughs> and I, ne I never went back. So I'm not a good swimmer. And I'm just yeah. imagining. I'm just imagining three, what is it? Three, three and a half hours 
that you and your sister and these two others yeah. are not just treading water, but also like pushing and prodding the boat along. Yeah, so that's like, that's the thing that the media also may mix it up. We didn't like really, really push the boat. So the thing is, we had like one hand on the lane. Yeah, there was right. lane. Yeah, and then we tried to swim next to it, like right. with the, the hand and two, and with kicking, and we tried to stabilize the boat because every time the the wind was coming, like it was flipping the boat back to Turkey, which we didn't want because of the police. Yeah, so we were trying to pull it down, and we were trying like to move it, but obviously, you know, I'm not Superman. My weight probably was 50 kilos and 20 people on the boat. Because some people think I put a rope on my right. uh, belly and I swam and that's not true. I, I no. just want to clarify that. Yeah. So we tried our best to be honest, but I think we were really, really lucky that everyone on the boat worked with us. Like also no one panicked. Like if one person panicked, everyone would have gone crazy, you know? So, yeah. 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 Was there like, a, who was the leader there? Kind of, who was the leader on the, the boat kind of, of my organizing? Father. What's the that? friend of my father. Okay. The cousin. He's like, he like, oh. like, you do this, you do this, go to the water, four people in the water, blah, 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 blah. So yeah, also that, like we were lucky, maybe probably they trusted him. So it was a good thing. Yeah. Yeah. That's incredible. Uh, so you get to land, you go across several different country lines and you finally make it to, where was your kind of final stop? Was it Germany or was it somewhere else first? No, Germany. 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 And you've been there ever since. Yeah. Yeah. Were they, how, what was the, pro, again, so something I, I, I interviewed a friend of mine, Sinzella Atmar. She is also, she, her family's from Afghanistan. They came here when, when she was younger and um, they spent actually years in the refugee process. You know, it was years from leaving home until they actually got here. Um, either way, super intense. Um, you guys are probably actually around the same age, leaving, leaving that part of the world for very similar yeah. reasons. But what, one thing I tried to point out in her story was what I want to point out in yours is that this is not an easy thing. This no, is not, so this is not no. a desirable thing. I, I, I get yeah. so, I get so frustrated, uh, living in America right now. Uh, I, I tell people all the time, like, I don't, really want to be here. I'm here because of, you know, you know, I have a wife and kids and our families and work. A lot of my work is here. I'm working on a TV show and different things. Like they kind of demand that I'm here right now, but I do not like being here because there is a tremendous amount of, um, misunderstanding around the immigrant and refugee yeah. community. It's um, also, it's the same here. It's the same here. I exactly know what you're talking about. It's like, by me, as example, this sentence is always said, she's a refugee. How is she successful? And I'm like, honey, yeah. I got educated. Yes. I had a normal life. Yeah. I swam. I trained every day just like you. I know I'm not as successful as, successful as the, the swimmers here um, in swimming, but I didn't have what they had. Yep. Don't compare my life to yours. I always, every time anyone tells me anything, I'm like, you've never been through half of what I've been through. Yeah. I had to work age 15. Here, they start drinking and going out and party at the age of 15. And, yeah. um, and even until now, it's so hard to, you know, you are a refugee. And I'm like, I didn't choose to leave my country. And I'm thankful that you opened your door for us, but we are also doing something in your country. Yeah. We're integrated. We're yeah. working. We're yeah. helping you to grow your country, you know? And I think my country is in the very, like a special need of us, you know, to help it grow again. But um, we are here because we don't know what's going to happen. It's war since 10 years already. And um, I, I don't want to have fear for my life, my whole life. And obviously, you can obviously imagine like your kids. You don't want, obviously, you always think about like the kids, your family and all of that. You never, ever want them to be in danger. So I, I understand what you're saying. And uh, yeah, the only way to let this, those people understand you don't have to make them understand. Just be successful. Just go your way. And I'm yeah. like, you know what? They don't like it. That's me. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. yeah. 
yeah, th there are so many people that are not in a, uh, th they don't live in a teachable way. They don't want to, they don't want to know any different. Yeah. Um, like, did you, when you arrived in Germany, did you know how to speak German or English? No, or no. English I did. Yes. But, uh, not German, but, but now not, I do. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that, that's another thing that just frustrates me so much about, you know, I grew up, again, I grew up in Guatemala, also a war-torn, not as severe as what you all are, you know, you all grew up in Syria, but a war-torn country, tons of violence. And, you know, even the, the, the kind of marginalized, poorer kids that I knew growing up, they knew they could speak English perfectly, plus Spanish, plus Sometimes they're like they're like uh, family dialect from wherever they like came from. They could speak yeah. several languages, and you know I we mo I moved back to the states in my twenties, and then I was like people here like there's su there's such a superiority complex. We are better. We are bigger. We are more badass than everybody else. And I'm yeah. like, you can barely speak y your one language. Yeah, and true. And, and you've never left, like you, you kind of stayed within your three state radius. You've never even left the country. I mean, I yeah. have so many friends that that are in their twenties and thirties and they've traveled to like Canada, maybe Mexico for vacation, but they've never traveled abroad to see the world. And that's, you know, when you talked about teaching people, so much of it is just a, it's a, it's a lack of understanding. It's a lack of, you have been, you, you have shaped, you have formed your world around what the kind of the media has told you. And so yeah. when they do, when they did learn about Syria for the first time, it was, they saw, you know, poor kids that had been in the middle of a bombing and they saw broken down buildings. Also, but also the media, unfortunately, yes. only show the bad things about Syria and what's happening and all of that. Uh, some people don't know that Damascus is still standing. Yeah. Not a lot of buildings are destroyed in Damascus, as example. Yeah. Um, Latakia, uh, even Aleppo. I have friends that live in Aleppo still until now after everything that happened. Wow. So no matter how bad you imagine war anywhere in the world, there is normality. Yeah. There will be normality because because life goes on, and some people don't leave the country. Some people they 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 don't have the money. They don't have the courage, and they try to build again and again. You know, and some people are some. Some people, even in Syria, they didn't lose anything. They have their home, they have their families. Um, but obviously, it was hard for all of us. But like as example, okay, I didn't have a home. My my, our flat was destroyed. Um, our car was destroyed, and then after that, uh, we had to rent a flat, and then they will go higher every time we go to another. So we changed our flat, uh, like six times in four years. <laughs> imagine yeah. like only this stress alone and with training and school and not knowing you're gonna live or not and all of this yeah it's it's hard and here here they care about oh i don't know she stole my man and uh i'm yeah. gonna go party today and i don't know how to go back home and i'm like yeah. okay yeah yep yeah it's okay. just, yeah it's it's we all you know uh you have to you know, come to the hard understanding that they've not gone through what you've gone through. And so, I know, yeah. and so they're ignorant. And, and, and that's the hard thing. Like, again, I haven't gone through what you've gone through, but I've gone through a little bit of it. And I have to always remind my, I have to check myself, Nick, you cannot, everybody's in process. My friend, David Dark, it's, he, he changed my life when he said to love a person is to love a process. And that's been such a huge transformation for me because all of us are in process. And so I can't get mad at somebody for what they don't know. Now, if they resist being taught and resist learning and resist opportunities to build their worldview, that's on them. And then we can start saying, dude, like shape up. That is not okay that you're resisting change, but I can't get upset with someone for stuff they don't know. We have yeah. to be willing to like put in the hard work yeah. of, you know, yeah. teaching them, you know, and that's hard. That's hard to do because you look at them and you're like, you have the same internet I do. You have the same access to books and history books and all these things that I do. Go learn it, you know, but it just, it just. Yeah. So the first thing I got about Syria. So where is Syria? In Africa? I was like, oh um, uh, oh no, God. it's in Asia. But yeah, I was like, why do I know their history? Why do I know America's history? Why do I know Germany's history and the UK and all of that? And they know nothing about mine. Yeah. I study I in school. I, I, I was like always studying history about everyone. I, I'm educated about everything. 
And to be honest, I'm proud of it. Like in Syria, yeah. we learned about everything and everywhere. And it's sad that like, I know that like German history and blah, blah, blah. It's so, it's so like extreme and all of that. But like, that's all they know. It's Germany, it's Europe. That's it. But like, I also like, they never, I, I think like they go to Egypt or something like for the fanciest place in Egypt or something or Morocco, but that's it. Yeah. Yeah, basically. And uh, probably they're like such tourist places like yep. in Morocco or Egypt, like Sharm Sheikh. So you don't really get to know the culture and all of that. So I find it sad, but I'm like, yeah, as you said, they've like they didn't go through what we've been through. So I'm okay with it. Uh, but I'm not okay with people saying, why does she deserve all of that? I'm like, you don't know me. Yeah. You didn't read my book. You didn't even ask me any questions. So don't stop attack. Start attacking me for no yeah. reason. Yeah. Yeah. That no. that that I find really frustrating for me. Like they start talking about me before even knowing what I've done in my life. And I've done a lot even before coming here. And like I've never ever wanted to be famous. As example, yeah. I never ever knew that my life. I when I came here, I said I want to swim. I want to qualify to Tokyo 2020. And everything that happened, I don't know, maybe I've been lucky, obviously, but I, I've, been, I've worked so hard for everything I have in my whole life. Mm. But the way it came to me, I felt like it's a gift because of everything I've been through, everything I did uh, to get through where I am today. Um, so yeah, I am thankful. And to be honest, I ignore what they say because, yeah, as you said, sometimes you cannot explain to them and they don't want to hear. Yeah. So that's okay. That's on them. So you, uh, all of that is true. So you uh, swam in the Olympics in yeah. 2016. That was Rio, right? Yes. Okay. I'm, uh, I, I, yeah. So much has happened in the last few years that uh, I don't know. I don't know no where is where is up and where is down right now. Um, so 2016 was that the first year that they had a refugee team? Yes. Were you all the first team? Yes, it was. A historical moment, actually. Yeah, and I, I remember, I mean, I was watching the kind of opening processional ceremony. I remember seeing you, and I remember just thinking, like, holy shit, this is a big deal. Like, these people do not belong. Like, they're not representing any country. They're representing a uh, million. We belong to everyone. Belong to everyone, right? Exactly. So how did yeah. that, how did you, because you came over in 2015, right? Yeah. So yeah. What, what was the process to, you know, kind of, Whose radar did you get on? How did you get involved in, uh, to, in in this enough so that you were in the Olympics like a year later? Uh, that was a really crazy process. But uh, so I, uh, I was in the refugee camp and then there was an Egyptian translator. So I went to him. I told him, I, me and my sister are swimmers and we need a swimming club. Can you help us? And he was like, are you really a swimmer? Because a lot of people tell me like they're professional and they're not. They're almost drunk. And I'm like, no, no, I'm really a swimmer. I've, I've been in the national team. I've been in Russia, blah, 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 for competitions. And um, yeah, then afterwards, he took us to a, cl a swimming club. And uh, when they saw us swimming, they didn't believe. They were like, did you train in America or Canada or somewhere other than Syria? I was like, no, I trained in Syria. And because of my technique, me and my sister, it was so good. They didn't believe I trained in Syria. I was like, wow. They have good coaches yeah. and yeah. So, um, so afterwards, uh, yeah, I coach there, like, uh, started taking care of us, started like spending uh, some days with us, started teaching us things. And afterwards, uh, yeah, I got more interesting in swimming. My, my sister had like a shoulder injury, so she couldn't continue. She stopped and, um, uh, yeah, he told me, uh, I'm going to, what, what do you think about contacting the International Olympic Committee for financial support? Because to swim and to do everything, I didn't have money. And I got like right. 130 euros a month from the, like, yeah, the social, uh, I don't know what, yeah. what is it called. Yeah. yeah like so the social help. And um, so, yeah, I didn't have money to do anything actually. And uh, yeah, he was like, Let's contact them. And he contacted them. Um, he contacted them. And um, 
yeah, then uh, they 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 said then they said they announced actually that they are they are uh, supporting refugees with scholarships, and I got one of the scholarships. And then afterwards, they announced there will be the first ever refugee Olympic team in Rio 2016. And one of the scholarship holders uh, is a Syrian swimmer in Germany. And the media went crazy. We got that day 300 emails in one night. And uh, even media started following me from somewhere. It was really crazy, like a movie. And... uh, yeah, so afterwards I got, um, yeah, I got like um, chosen to, to, go to, with the, to go to the Olympic Games. And obviously I did it. And uh, in the beginning I wasn't happy about it because I wanted to prove myself. I was like, right. I don't want people to feel sorry for me that I'm in the Olympic Games. I was like, I want to earn my place there. So it was a rough yeah, situation for me. My parents were like, you've worked so hard. And if you don't appreciate the work you've put in, appreciate our work because we drove you we sat we trained you we gave you like blah blah blah. and then and then i i realized that i've done everything i can for swimming in my life and uh yeah i accepted it and the moment i entered the stadium it was probably the happiest moment in my life i was so proud of representing millions and millions around the world we didn't belong to anyone, as you said. We belong, like we belong to everyone. Yeah. And um, since then, I'm the proudest, actually, to be a refugee and to be their voice and to tell people, "Listen, I'm a refugee, but I still have the dream. I'm still going on. No one can stop me." <laughs> That's really incredible. Uh, I I love the idea of not belonging to anyone, but belonging to everyone, because that's yeah. w- when people ask me. I'm a huge proponent of people becoming global citizens. I get that you have to, because of the way the world works, you have to have a, you know, passport and citizenship somewhere. But I truly, 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 when I think about where I'm from and where I want to be from and where I want to go, like I see myself as a global citizen. I can't, I can't unsee myself that way because I don't, you know, just like the body, if, if my finger gets hurt, my whole body feels it, right? Um, and if my head hurts, my whole body feels it. And so just in that same way, when there, when Syria is hurting, when refugees are hurting and they're migrating from here to there and they don't have a place and they don't know where to go and they don't want to leave their homes, that should affect every last one of us. Every single one of us should feel that and then try to figure out, and this is the, you know, one of the things I do at Let's Give a Damn is I try to help people figure out like, hey, you can't do everything, but you can do something. And you can yeah. do, and some of you have a bigger capacity, you can do some things. So the, the idea isn't to get, you gotta, I think you have to like feel everything. You have to know sort of what's going on in the world. And then yeah. we have to, then we have to do a good job figuring out, okay, what, what is my role in the world? I can't do it all, but I can do some things. So which are my, which are my things, right? And so just that idea of like, I, even though my passport says the U S I like the the idea of thinking of myself as like, I don't belong to anyone. I belong to like everyone, you know, I belong everywhere. And, um, that just gives me like empathy for kind of all people in what everyone is going through. Yeah. But if you also think about it, actually, sorry for interruption, but you also, if you think about it, there is no country in the entire world that is only like, let's talk as example, let's say America. It's impossible to be only like typical American who was born in America. Everyone has a grandpa, has a mother, has sibling or, or like, you know, any part, like any, any one of their family that is not American comes from Mexico, comes from the Arabic world. But this is how we are shaped in the world. And yep. it's beautiful. It's, it's nice to get to know other cultures, you know, no matter if we're black and white, whatever color you have, whatever um, religion you have, just living together. I don't feel, I don't know why is it so hard because to me, to be honest, I don't care what your religion is, what your color is where you come from, as long as you're nice to me, as long as I can spend some, some nice time with you and I can learn something new from you. And this is how the world should be, to be honest. Like this is, yeah, I, I understand what you're saying. And I wish one day we will reach that. And I think now is the time. My generation is going crazy and 
they want to change something. So um, I hope we can, and I hope we reach um, a point where we're all happy with what we have and ignore some people as Trump because, <laughs> because uh, yeah, he's not the right leader for America. No, 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 no. It's the, the frustrating part about um, where I live right now is yeah. that like America it's divided probably oh well it's it's so it's I so know. so I mean it is it is I, I mean we're protesting downtown I have a group of friends that have been downtown Nashville for um they haven't left in nine days and they've been because they during the after George Floyd was murdered we we tore down um a a a, a big statue of uh, a guy that was uh, a, sl a slave owner. He was a he was a racist, and we tore it down. And we're trying to put. Uh, we want to make this the Ida B. Wells Plaza, an amazing woman uh, that that fought for human rights, and she's amazing. And we have the government, the local government, working against us. They've arrested 30, uh, 35 of our group, and they've they've just caused trouble. We've been very peaceful. It's our it's our property. We own it. Our tax dollars paid for it. And, and it's, it's, it is, it is very divided right now. Um, yeah. and, but what's so hard is that when, in this conversation about this global identity is that America is so young and we're only, we're only a few hundred years old. And as you pointed out, as you rightly pointed out, none of us should have such a deep American identity because none of us are from here. No, no, yeah, exactly. No there one are, is really pure American to be honest. There, there are there are three million uh, Native Americans that live here. We're a country of three hundred and thirty million people. Yeah. So <laughs> less than one percent of the people are Native American, which means yeah. we have continued over time. Not only did we come here to rape, pillage, and steal. Not only did we massacre them and steal their land out from in front of them. Over the years, we've continued to perpetuate that. Um, that oppression on them to the point where now they are less than 1% of the population. And we've kind of, yes, there are native Americans that live all over, but most of them live on their reservations that aren't being supported by the government. They have very few hospitals and very few schools and very few grocery stores. And we've continued that oppression until today. And so no one, it, it always boggles me when, you know, Trump has really rallied. He has really uh, kind of riled up the base and people are so excited about make America great again. And this is the best country in the world. And we're so American. This, I'm sentence, like, this sentence, make America great. This is so wrong. Yeah. <laughs> like who said that? <laughs> she, she never, she never was great. She's never been great. Not that good things don't come yeah, out of America. Like every country, every country has its flaws, but America, like, like it produced a lot of intelligent people. It, it like, it, you know, every country has something special about it, and it it doesn't have to like make America great again. Even this, like saying it, it feels so weird. It feels icky. you have people, yeah. We have you have people. Okay, I I obviously when you're, I don't know, coming from Mexico and um, you were born in like your I meant your dad is from Mexico and you were born in America. You're half Mexican, half American. So only saying make America great again is so dumb because yes. as you said, the native like the native people are that they, they are from America. It's so low percent. So why doesn't he focus on making everyone get along in a good way and yep. not dividing them actually? Yep. If he really cared about America, he would do that. But he yep. does not. He has his own things in his brain. And some people in America, unfortunately, are not understanding that this man is running after what he wants and yep. not after what is good for his people. And this it, is sad. Yeah, it's a very self-serving administration. And and you can see, like you said, you know, I, I started talking about the problems here and you're like, well, we have this, you know, you talked about in Germany, there are people here that don't understand refugees. Like course, yeah. there, there are terrible people everywhere, but from when you look at your leaders, you want them to at least be uh, 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 respectful and diplomatic and and at least trying to unify the people. I mean, I think I don't live in Germany, but I I, I, I like it's what I know. Than America. Yeah, I like what I know of Angela Merkel. And you look at Justin yeah. Trudeau in Canada and you look at True. all these leaders and it's like 
and, and there's two, you know, there's two that really stick out that are very like each other, Donald Trump and uh, Boris Johnson in the UK, like they act very similarly. They have no, there's, you look at the rhetoric day after day and there's no, there's no desire to unify. There's only a desire to polarize. There's only a desire to make trouble, to cause trouble. And so it's, it's a weird time. Um, sure. Let's, we could talk about that for forever, but let's not go on. Um, so the last few years, so 2016, you're in the Olympics, you know, people start hearing about user Mardini and she, you know, and all the things that you're doing, what happens between now and then, what have you been doing? I know you said you've been training and swimming a lot and stuff, and you've been, you know, uh, you've been part of the, uh, your UNHCR, is that what it is? Yeah. Uh, uh, ambassador. Um, tell us about the last four years. Um, so my life went crazy kind of after I went to the Olympic games, uh, I got a bill, a bit well known. Uh, my story got a bit also well known. I released a book in 2018 about uh, my story. It's called butterfly, uh, because of my main stroke and because of my story. Um, after that, we also signed with, um, the company working title for uh, a movie a hollywood movie actually it should have been uh, this year but uh, now it's gonna come out hopefully next year um i've been training every day obviously uh for my next next goal which is uh, the olympic games tokyo 2020 2021 2021 um, yep. exactly um and other than that actually i took a pause from studying i'm not studying i learned the language um and uh, I, I travel for giving speeches, I do events, I visit camps uh, as a goodwill ambassador for UNHCR. I do a lot of work for refugees and uh, yeah, this is basically how I have been the, the past few years. A lot of travel, a lot of uh, you know, meeting new people, talking about refugees, encouraging people to know more about refugees. And uh, since then, that's how my life looks like. It, it it looks and sounds busy. This uh, yeah. this film because I think I I heard about the film and I think the was it originally 2019 it was supposed to come out or no was it always 2020? They never said when it's gonna come out. Okay. They just we just signed. Yeah. Are you are you are you all acting in it or are you just is your story no. in the movie? No, it's it's the story. Um, uh, and other actress is, is uh, acting me and I already like met her. She's amazing. She's wonderful. And I'm very happy that she's me. And cool. uh, yeah, because it would have been weird to, you know, act myself again and feel everything again. So, and I had to choose between acting myself or going again to the Olympic games. And I said, you know what? I love acting. So that's why I like, it was hard, but I said, I can act in my life later, but I can never go to the Olympic Games again. So I chose uh, to work really hard on the Olympic Games. Yeah. So let's talk about your sort of like mental, physical health for a second, because one of the things that I always focus on with people who who I think are giving a damn and who people I want to give a damn is this is a it's a it's a to, to use a sports analogy. It's a marathon, not a sprint. This is a yeah. this is a, the idea is you're in this for the long haul, right? Not two yeah. years, three years, and then you burn out. So you yeah. have already seen more than most people have seen in a lifetime. And you're only like 22, 23 years old. You have a film being made about your story. You wrote a book, you've been in the Olympics, and now you're training for the Olympics next year. Like there's a lot going on. You said you speak and you, you're UNHCR, global ambassador, uh, goodwill ambassador. So like, how are you How are you taking care of yourself? How are you staying sane and healthy? And I know that part of your journey is staying healthy for the Olympics. So that obviously probably makes you feel good to be exercising and swimming a lot, but it's also a lot of work. So how are you kind of, you know, keeping a good pace so that you don't burn out? Um, to be honest, I let myself feel everything. If I'm sad, if I'm mad, I am sad and mad for a day, for two. Um, it has been hard. Sometimes I, I take too much in. Uh, but now mm. I started actually um, with a psychologist and uh, I, I have mental training. So um, it's it's going very well. And, uh, you know, as Arabic people, we're not always open to, you know, psychologists and blah, blah, blah. Um, so uh, it, it has been really good to, you know, have therapy and talk about it. Uh, but also like, you know, talking about it with my family is okay. 
but I'm really positive and I'm like, I'm the person that is, I'm not going to stop until I'm there. Or I'm like, yeah, there is no choice here. I'm not giving up until, you know, I'm happy with myself. I'm happy with what I'm doing. And um, it's, yeah, it's going very well. Um, I think my mentality is stronger than it seems. Um, and uh, yeah, it's just sometimes very, very hard because I meet refugees that their conditions are so bad and I cannot help them. This is the moment, some moments where I like really lose it and I cannot do anything. And I feel like the world is unfair, but um, but yeah, I I the only thing I can I can do is like uh, the, you know afford some some help, uh, listen to their stories, tell them what my story maybe it's helpful for them. Um, yeah, that's how how I do it actually, to be honest. And I don't really like always focus on like that. My mental health is like, oh, is it good? Is it not? I I just live the life I'm living. And uh, I try to do more positive things. I'm like, you know, the past is in the past. It is a part of who I am, but it, it shouldn't make me sad because it made me who I am today. Yeah. So yeah. this is always in my mind because I am like, without everything that happened in my life, even though it was so hard, it is who I am. It's a part of who I am. And it made me this strong person today that can help others because I was such a shy girl when I was young that I've never expected my life to turn out that way. So, so I'm really thankful for everything that happened in my life, the lessons I learned, and that I can actually help someone if they need help. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 I love that because that's sort of how I stay energized as well. Like, I'm not saying that mental unhealth isn't a real thing. It's a very real thing. And yeah, for pe sure. people should go to therapists and they should get medicine, all yeah. that stuff. So I'm not, I mean, not, I already go. I also have a therapist and I, I do it. I do it once a week and it's very relaxed. You know, you don't have to be ill to go to a therapist. No, like, no healthy just, people should go. You can, exactly. You can just have someone who's not in the circle. Talk to them about everything you want. Yep. Um, yeah, it's, yeah, it's very nice. But my yeah, my point there is. I think a lot of people fail to just get moving, to just get going, uh, right? I know. Like the longer you, if some, if some shit's going on in your head, right? And it's like, oh, this is a bad thing. The more you sit in it and don't get up and do something, uh, obviously it's going to get bigger and it's going to feel bigger and you're going to feel it's going to, it could lead to really unhealthy things versus, True. yeah, there's shit going on and I'm going to do, you know, 90% of it's out of my control, but the 10% that is in my control, I'm going to get up and do something like when, sure. when, when things are really heavy, um, I get to work. Like I just start creating stuff and making stuff because that like keeps me moving forward, you know, during this pandemic, right. We're in, we're, we're somewhere in the middle of a pandemic. I don't, I never know where we are because people say it's getting better, but I see numbers getting worse and who knows, but yeah. We're in this pandemic and a lot of my friends have gotten more depressed and more unhealthy than ever during this time. And when this pandemic hit, like I got busier, I'm like busier than ever. I have no time for anything. I have a wife, I have three kids and I have two companies and a nonprofit. And I have so much to do now because I want to stay busy. I can't sit and wallow too often yeah, in, yeah. In, in what happened growing up, you know, or what happened last week in the world with all, you know, George Floyd's public lynching or all these other things that are happening. Like I got to sit in that and realize that it's happening, but then say, okay, what am I going to do about it? I have, I have a role in this. I got to get to work. And so I think that helps with, um, not getting stuck and not, not getting, uh, more mentally unhealthy, you know? Yeah. And, and again, yeah. it's a real thing, but I think people can like move it along. They can, they can, uh, work on it. So yeah. do you ever, you live in you live in Germany. Do you ever think you'll move? Like nobody knows the future, but in your future, as you sort of like think about the future, is Syria in the future at all for you, or are you going to permanently stay in uh, Germany? So I don't know if I'm going to ever live in Syria again, but I want to help build it again. Obviously, it's my country, and maybe when I'm older and it's peaceful again, sure, I I want to visit. I want to. 
yeah, I, I, I might live there when I'm older, but right now I'm building my future here and uh, I'm happy here, but I would love to at least visit my country. Yeah, sure. Yeah. So you probably haven't been back since 2015, no, no. right? Um, when you think, when you say, I want to help rebuild it, like, what is that going to look like? I know, I, again, I know you don't know the future, but what is that going to look like to rebuild this, this country that, again, there are places that are still standing and beautiful, but it is a, it is a place that is very much in pain. There's been a lot of, I know, but if anyone was going to build it, this, the kids of this country, you know? So yeah, rebuild it. I don't know. Uh, maybe really build it, you know, the, the building buildings. I don't know. Uh, um, uh, you know, educating some people because when you go from Europe back, you have a lot of knowledge, you have a lot of, you know, experience, you can help, you can, you know, educate some people. So this is how I, yeah, I imagine it. Yeah. Um, my family and I have talked, uh, quite a bit. So we live in Nashville, Tennessee right now. Um, if there's anybody from Nashville listening, I know there are, we don't like it. We've made that very clear. Um, it's a fine city, but it's not home. You know, I grew up overseas. I've lived in, I've spent time in 30 countries. Uh, I've lived all over the U S and being in the South. I don't know if living in Germany, if you kind of, if you know about, um, what it means to be in the South in the U S but it's, you know, it's typically, I know some of it is stereotype, but it's where a lot of the, uh, people that are more, uh, maybe Trump voting live. And there seems to be a lot more racism down here and a lot more, you know, Confederate flags, people holding on to the past. And so it's a very, it's a difficult place to live. Um, and so we've talked about, we, we are going to move and our thought right now is to move to the East coast of the U S maybe New York city or somewhere close. But we've also yeah. talked about like going over, um, you know, moving overseas. And one of the places that we've talked about, I read a really beautiful book about an American family that moved to Berlin and uh, they raised their they raised their kids there and they loved it. Like it's really they, nice. It's really they, nice. So so yeah, what is what is kind of the atmosphere in Germany, not just toward refugees and immigrants, but uh, yeah, I mean, do you, do you do you do Germans wonder why Americans aren't moving over there? Uh, because of how crazy things are or yeah what's the environment there yeah i don't know any i know one family that is american german but other than that i don't know anyone american that moved to germany to be honest so i cannot give you any advice but uh yeah germany is an amazing place to live it's peaceful it's way less racist um people can be really welcoming and uh, you can you get help for no return, uh, mm. if you know what I mean. And uh, yeah, people are just willing to just have fun, enjoy life, and uh, work uh, hard for what they want. To be honest, so I I like Germany. It's just a little bit cold. That's it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. The winters do get pretty crazy there, don't they? Yeah. Um. Let's um. Let's wrap up. You've been super kind to give me an hour of your time so far. Uh, I have so much more that I want to talk to you about, but let's just, let's sort of wrap up with this. Um, I ask this question at the end of most of my podcast conversations. Yeah. I'm interested to hear yours because you do have such a crazy story and so much has gone on in your, you know, 20 something years of life so far. Um, yeah. As you think about the future, you know, you've talked about you know, you've had this incredible journey getting you to Germany and then someday you might want to move back and you've, you're in a unique position that your story, you know, so many refugees come and their story does not get the attention that yours did. Yeah. Um, and so the, the, the universe, uh, God has been very kind to you to kind of get your story out there so that people can be encouraged. Um, so here's the question. Someday, many, 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 many years from now, you're going to die because we all do. That is, that is part of life. And um, in, in, in this hypothetical scenario, I have been asked to give your eulogy. For some reason, I'm still alive and you're not. And I am giving your eulogy. I am speaking words of, you know, about your life and legacy with all your family and your friends and all the people yeah. you've helped and served. They're all there. On that day, what do you hope that I would say about your life and legacy? What do you hope that I would, you, the words that I would use to eulogize you with? 
um, I hope that you would say she tried to change the world to a better place, um, that she liked that she was different, and she fought as hard as she could for refugees, and she made everyone know that refugees are normal and they can achieve what normal people can achieve. And she's also like a pretty good swimmer. <laughs> and, she's, and she's a pretty good swimmer. That's amazing. That's amazing. No, that's yeah. a beautiful legacy. And actually, I did forget to ask you something about swimming. So you're going to be, I know we're kind of backtracking real quickly, but you're going to be, you know, you're training for 2021 in Tokyo. Like, I know that kind of Olympic careers, you know, sometimes it's just like one Olympic, you know, you go to one Olympics, sometimes it's two. Like, what is your... How how long do you want to do this before you kind of build this into a different career? Um, to be honest, I can't answer because I don't know. Um, uh, I can stop after Tokyo. I can continue. It depends on my brain, my passion, continuing for it or trying new things in life. But uh, at the moment, I'm enjoying it. I love swimming and uh, it uh, depends how everything's going to turn out after the Olympic Games. Uh, I mean, I might change to another sport. No one knows. So I'm just leaving it open. I love it. How many hours a day do you do? You, do you swim every day? And how many hours a day do you swim? Uh, yes, I swim every day. And sometimes uh, I swim two hours every day or hours. four hours. That's a lot of swimming. I know, right? Especially More coming from walking. the guy. Yeah, especially coming from the guy who jumped out of the pool after three minutes uh, doing yeah, my lifeguard right? training. Yeah, that just yeah. that just seems that seems insane. Uh, Yusra, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for sharing your story. Uh, I'm honored, and we're so uh, we're so proud of you and all the work that you're doing. And uh, keep going, and hopefully, maybe maybe we'll do this again when you have when we have more yeah, to talk for about. Sure. For sure. Thank you for, so much for having me. I really enjoyed talking to you, and I hope the situation in America is gonna get better. I hope so too. Thank you for yeah. thank you for thinking of us. Well, that's the show today, friends. A huge thanks to Yusra for joining me on the show. Thanks you so much for listening, and many thanks to Red Cap for sponsoring this episode. You can find links and more details about the show, including more about our sponsor, more about Yusra, in the show notes by going to letsgiveadam.com. Chad's Navely produced this show. Let's Give a Damn is part of the Matter Media family. You can reach me anytime at hello at letsgiveadam.com. Sending so much love and peace and light to each one of you. Stay safe. Keep giving a damn. Bye for now.